Good morning, Bethesda. You know, I'm sure glad Tommy Walker's coming back. I'm glad he's uh, breathing some uh, new life into hymns. I love the hymns of the church. Anybody else with me? Um, being involved in church music for most, if not all, my life, I learned years ago that uh, I forget who who came up with this phrase, but the praise and worship choruses that we sing today, which are great, they tell us, the praise and worship choruses tell us that God is great. The hymns tell us why. It's the theology that we see in the hymns. It's so very, very important. And so I pray in this house that we never lose sight of being able to sing, lift our voices and sing a hymn together. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you, thank you. Well, happy Independence Day to all of you. My thanks to the music ministry of this house and their very fine leadership, Brent and Janice Brunson. Can you help me uh, appreciate them today? I know you enjoyed it. Um, I don't know how often you are in a position to be reminded of this, but let me tell you something, folks. We are blessed in this house. Very, very, very blessed. So thank the Lord for that. So now let's go to the word of the Lord. Who's ready for that today? When we say our pledge to the American flag, we will recite one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I certainly believe in liberty and justice for all, and I assume most of us here do as well. But the challenge seems to be for this nation to remain under God and to remain indivisible. Actually, we, um, we saw in 2020 just how easily we can be divided and not only just over one issue, but over several issues at once. And while I am gravely concerned, if not heartbroken, about the divisions in our country, I'm even more concerned about the divisions within the church and how the spirit of division can so easily creep into the church. I will go so far as to say today that I believe if we're going to live in a country that is under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, it must start with a church that is under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Am I the only one? Because you know, I know you know this, the Bible clearly refers to those things which must begin in the house of God. We must be the leaders of what takes place. We can gripe and complain and moan and whine and cry about all the things that are taking place, but the church needs to rise up and be the leaders for righteousness and for the things that need to take place in the country. And the church, according to the word of the Lord, is often where things are to begin. We know 1 Peter 4.17 says, for sure judgment must begin in the house of God. And as I look at the word of the Lord, those things which are necessary for our nation to be set aright must first be set aright within the body of Christ who's with me today. So while I am certainly referencing our nation today in my comments to you, I have a more intense focus dialed in on the church of the living God and particularly the church in this country. If you've been around here much at all in the last few months, you have heard several of us talk about a certain psalm, 
Our pastoral team has put a focus on this psalm. Our head of school has discovered ways to lead us in living this psalm on our campus. Dr. Marty has done a full teaching on it. I've talked about, does anybody know what psalm I'm talking about? Psalm 133. And I know some of you might be thinking, Pastor Dan, haven't you talked about this before? Haven't you talked about this even recently? Haven't you talked about it enough? Well, yes, I'm going to talk about it again today. My dad was a pastor all my life, and if he got up and preached the same text and somebody said something, he'd say, when you start living living it, I'll stop preaching on that one, okay? (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm going to keep preaching on it until you start living on it, living it. So here's my plan for today. I'm going to start once again with Psalm 133, and then I'm going to ask you to jump with me after that to 1 Corinthians, the 11th, 12th, and 13th chapter. I hope you brought a sandwich today, okay? Now, while I won't be reading all of those chapters, I do want to present some truths from them that I think are pertinent for us. So in Psalm 133, David, the king, says this. He says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Can I just say it feels good in here today? Can I say it feels pleasant in here today when we gather together in the name that's above every other name, when we lift him, let his name be lifted higher and higher and higher, and when you lift your voice and the singing isn't only taking place on the platform or the choir loft, it's happening in the balcony, it's happening in the pews, we are exalting the name of Jesus. It is good and it is pleasant. We clap our hands together when we reach out together. So when we dwell together in true, biblical, God-appointed unity, verse 2 says, here's what it's like. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. True unity in the church brings us into a place of separation from this world, a place where we are, where we are identified as the people of God. Jesus himself said it to us this way, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. In other words, what he's saying is this, something is flowing through you to each other as the body of Christ that cannot be produced by anything else in this world. Am I telling you the truth today? The world can try to fake it. They can go to a concert. They can sway to the music. They can hold up their lighted cell phone and pretend they're all in unity, but they are not. There's something of God that comes upon a people who make the choice to walk together in true biblical unity. Bless the name of Jesus. Verse 3 says, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. You know what I think that says? I think that's saying to us, there is a thirst that is satisfied everywhere we go because we have made the choice to let God do something in us which only he can do to draw us together in unity. And then the psalm ends with this all-important verse which should motivate all of us to put forth every effort needed for unity. For he says, for there, 
the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Read that with me. For It is utterly amazing what God can do with a united church, a church that is under God and indivisible. You'll remember that in Acts chapter 2, the word indicates that God's people were in one accord and they were in one place. They were unified with God. They were unified with one another, not in strength, but in weakness is how they were unified. They knew they needed God, and they knew that they needed each other. That's what, that was the hallmark of the early church. And suddenly, the door opens, and out they go into a marketplace, overturning, in a sense, if you will, the entire known world of their day, conquering the world for Jesus. And Bethesda, I'm here to proclaim today that when we walk together in unity, when I walk in unity with you, and you walk in unity with me, God himself commands the blessing of eternal life. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Now, nobody ever said it's easy. Nobody ever said unity is easy. That's why we have to consider this morning for a few minutes the commitment of unity. While I think that most of us will agree in theory, at least with the idea of unity, some of us think, that's a lovely thought. That's great. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be a good thing if that could happen? We, we can agree in theory. Most of us, would, if we're honest, would prefer to sit back and wait for others to do their part first, right? Then when we're comfortable enough, we might put forth our little effort toward the cause of unity. If we see others are, are doing something, I'll chip in a little bit and do my part toward unity. Unity is not as easy as just a lovely thought. It's taking people who have all different opinions, all different ideas of what, what's supposed to happen, and, and asking them to come together in a spirit that honors and exalts the name of the Lord Jesus. Back in the 80s, Pastor Des would sometimes ask us to sing a certain song. Des would get on a he would have seasons with songs. As a minister of music, I, I knew this well. Uh, and we would sing, it, it would be, he would get a certain focus on a, on a particular chorus for a while. And so he did uh, on this song, uh, and, and it was great until he ratcheted up the intensity on it. And the song was this, in moments like these, I sing out a song. Anybody remember it? I sing out a love song to Jesus. In moments like these, I lift up my hands, I lift up my hands to the Lord. Simple little song, and the refrain went like this. And I sing, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And that was nice. And we always sang it that way a time or two or three first. And then because of the breadth and depth of Pastor Dez's understanding of the word, and particularly his, uh, uh, the, way his, uh, uh, the way he honored the admonitions of the Apostle Paul, that Christianity is not just vertical, but it's also horizontal. Pastor Des understood that in a way that was ahead of all of us. It's not just a me and Jesus uh, Christianity. It's me and Jesus and the body of Christ. It's vertical and it's horizontal. Somebody say amen. He would then... Uh, ask us to sing, uh, we would sing the first verse to the Lord Jesus, and then he would do something that was, the truth is, it was miserably uncomfortable. Just miserably uncomfortable. He would ask us to turn to the person on our left and on our right and sing the song to them. Seriously. 
And, and so, you know, I would have to sing in the chorus and sing, I love you, Herman. I, I love you, Mildred. I love, you know, and it was just, and I would get home and say to Becky, oh, why does Des ask us to do that? It's so, it's so awkward. I don't know. And Becky was probably on the piano that night, and she would say, well, so who did you have to sing to tonight? And I would have to sing. I had to sing to Herman that I loved him. I don't even like Herman. <laughs> why would I tell him I love him? Why would I do that? I run the other direction when I see him coming down the hall. I love the Lord. I love being a Christian. I love knowing my sins are washed away. I, know, I love knowing I'm bound for heaven, but Herman and I have nothing in common, like, at all. But folks, when you get into the word of the Lord, you discover that you not only have to, not only have to study the word, you have to live it. Studying is wonderful should be the habit and the discipline of all of us. And that's great. And there are some people who are satisfied just to study it, just to read it. But then it has to get in you and you have to begin to live it. I, we are supposed to be new creations in Christ Jesus. Am I right? Old things are passed away. All, all things are supposed to become new. And the truth is this, because we, are, we live in this flesh, old things don't necessarily pass away quickly, do they? Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's a long process. I, you know, for example, I've known people who really weren't into to hugging, like at church. It kind of made their skin crawl. They just, they just didn't like it. And, and, and I want to say to you people who, if you're a touchy-feely person, you need to understand that not everybody is, okay? Not everybody is, is, feels good about you being touchy-feely, okay? It does not come easily or naturally for everybody. We're all kind of wired different when it comes to that. About a month or so ago, we took a little family vacation to Florida. I'm not real good at taking vacations, but we got a chance to get away. Our son Shaler and his wife and Natalie were with us, and their uh, one-year-old, year-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Soren, was with us. But our daughter, who was living in Georgia at the time, she decided then kind of at the last minute to join us, so though her husband was unable to come. Our daughter, Sheridan, flew down with her two-year-old, Kensington. And because of the distance that we live here in Fort Worth and uh, with one granddaughter lives here and our other granddaughter lives in Georgia, pretty much the only time they've kind of connected or seen each other was on FaceTime and then they just kind of look at each other, you know, on the phone. So our one-year-old granddaughter is very much a touchy-feely person. That's Shaler's daughter. I, we're, not, we're not sure how that happened, but... But she's very much a touchy-feely person. Our two-year-old from Georgia, on the other hand, is not a touchy. She's not that way. She's very shy. She's much more guarded. She's very reserved. She's cautious. She's careful. If anybody comes along too strong, she's going to back away because she's not sure where this is headed. It's just the natural proclivity. It's the natural rhythm of who they are. So when we all got to the airport to pick up our daughter and, and and her daughter, who had flown in from Georgia, we pulled up to the curb of the, of the airport, and all of us piled out to greet them, and totally unprompted, our one-year-old granddaughter went up to the two-year-old granddaughter, and it looked like this. 
The two-year-old seems to be saying, who is this person and why is she hugging me? Look at her eyes. And so the, the two-year-old Kensington, she was kind of like trying to back away like this when this was going on. And as she did, the one-year-old would just hug her and keep, <laughs> keep going like that. It actually all started out something like this when the, when the, uh, where the two-year-old, put the other one up, but the two-year-old is doing what I call the seal flipper hug. Look, she's got her hands out. Kind of, she's kind of like this. It's very guarded. And, you know, I've talked to people in church who told me they just, they're just not comfortable hugging other people and, and they feel like, uh, like they've really gotten better when at least they've mastered the seal flipper hug. You know, your arm's about eight inches long. Here, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, I understand some people, for whatever reason, just cannot reach out and embrace people unconditionally, but at least the seal flipper hug is a way. How many seal flipper hug, huggers do we have in the house? Okay, there's, there's, there's a few of you. And I know for some people, it's just difficult. They, you've been hurt, you've been bruised, you've been wounded, you've been abused, you've been betrayed, you've been lied about, and people have been a source of pain to you. I, I get that. To be honest, it's probably a miracle that you're even here this morning, if you're one of those, and being this close to other people. But I, I, oh, let me press you just a bit today. What if I suggested to you today that God wants to take it even further for you, and that he wants to do something deeper in you, and if you would just simply be willing, just willing, just willing. Willing. There's a, there's a statement in the Old Testament that says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. It's in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. If you are just willing, sometimes that's all God's asking. Or will you just be willing? Willing and obedient. If that's all you do, sometimes the Lord is saying to us, if you're just willing, the victory that I won for you on the cross can become yours. The freedom that I have promised you, you can have, and you can discover a place of abundance if you'll just be willing. And I will bring you to a place where I command eternal life to be extended through you to those who are around you, and that is completely possible for you today. Let me do my jump now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to cover a lot of territory, and I really hope you'll work at staying with me here because there's some things I think the Lord would like to communicate to our fellowship today. Now, let's lay this down as groundwork. Let's remember that we're looking to protect the unity of the church. One church under God, indivisible. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul first talks about the seriousness of unity. There is a serious side to unity that I think the church can very easily overlook. If you are one of those who just considers unity uh, in the church a nice thought or uh, a lofty thought or something that might be nice, probably won't happen until we get to heaven. Uh, if, you, if you are one of those who take really a rather casual approach to unity, aren't really all that interested in, um, in putting forth effort toward unity in the body of Christ, then I need, you to, I need you to listen to what Paul has to say. He says it's serious. It's very serious business. 1 Corinthians 11, I'm starting at verse 18. He says this, and what I also, 11, 12, and 13, they're all connected. It's all the same theme that he's dealing with. He starts here, he says, first, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. 
And to some extent, I believe it. He's saying, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't like hearing this, but I, I think it has to be true. Some of it at least has to be true. To some extent, I believe it. But of course, verse 19, but of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. This is an incredible statement Paul is making. He says, there are going to be those who try to divide the body of Christ. Body of Christ. It's true. We've seen it here. You've seen it in every church. There are those who, for whatever reason, can't be their judge, but whatever reason, they will try to divide the body of Christ. And though those uh, divisive people will be there, it will become evident, Paul is saying here, who really belongs to God and who doesn't. There are things that can take place, particularly in the life of a church, that will reveal who you are and will reveal what you are. And that's what he's saying. There must be divisions among you so that you, you who have God's approval will be recognized. We're going to find out who's God's and who's not. And basically, it will become evident who is willing to cross that bridge to go into the deeper things of God for more intimate fellowship with Christ and his church. Verse 20, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper, For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. In other words, he's saying, there's some things going on here in this Corinthian church that's not good. This is is not okay. Verse 23, and this is very familiar to you, it should be, for I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself, that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Don't we quote this at every communion service? He gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now watch. What's he doing? What's Paul doing? He's contrasting the selfishness of the Corinthian fellowship where people are coming together, gathering around their ethnicity gathering around their preferences, gathering around uh, possibly the people who make them comfortable, and they're pushing to the sides the people who make them uncomfortable. It's a very natural human thing to happen, but it's wrong in the house of God. Paul is simply saying that is not what the worship of God is supposed to be. Remember that the Lord Jesus took some bread and, and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This, says Paul, is the type of fellowship Christ is looking for in his church. I am here for you. I will put my needs uh, further down the list than yours. Uh, I will place my needs below yours. I will ask God to help me get rid of my self-focus, which is all about me and mine and my problems, my rent, my house payment, my bills, my relationship, my issues at work, my children. Ask God to help me put that aside for the sake of you. In other words, we used to call it being a reacher around here. What's a reacher? A reacher is someone who knows how to get out of themselves and and reach beyond to someone else, take their stuff and set it aside for the sake of being interested in you, what you are concerned with, what's what's going on with you. And I'm going to look around the room and I'm going to ask, is there anybody that I can allow myself and my agenda to be broken for 
for their sake. Do this in remembrance of me. Selah. Verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. The contrast Paul is exposing here is the selfishness of the Corinthian church to the willingness of Christ to be broken and poured out for the sake of other people. That's the contrast. He's saying, you've got to look at this. You've got to recognize this. Verse 26, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Church, see what this, what's in the word today. It's, a, he's, it's another way of saying there is a power in the proclamation. Say that with me. There is a power. Come on, like you mean it. There is a there is a power when the body of Christ is looking away from their self-focus and looking to the needs of one another. It could be as simple as I'm, I'm talking about inviting someone for a cup of coffee who is lonely. Now, let me just pause here one second. All the people who, yeah, I'm lonely. Somebody needs to invite me for coffee. Bless my heart. No, sweetheart, you need to invite them for coffee. When we're all looking at our needs and we come together in the house of the Lord and all we see is my problem, my loneliness, my heartbreak, my this and that, and you can't see anyone else, then all we can say is you don't get it. And you're not living to what, according to what Paul is telling the, the, the Corinthians. We have to put that aside for the sake of others. It's getting quiet in here. I better move on. Uh, let, me, let me just go just slightly deeper with this. Talking about the willingness to have your plan, the plans of your day broken to be able to be poured out for someone else. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. I got a plan. I got a plan for this afternoon. I got a plan for tonight. I got a plan for this week. How many planners in the room? Got a plan. But in the body of Christ... People who are committed to protecting the unity of the body of Christ, people who are willing to, to be broken and poured out, they know how to even allow their agenda to be broken. Their plans to be broken for the sake of someone else. And Paul says this. He says, if you do this, what I just said, you then become a proclamation of the Son of God who came to this earth and poured his life out for the sake of others. That's what you're doing. You're shouting from the mountaintops. You're proclaiming, I belong to Jesus. I'm part of the body of Christ. And this is how I declare that. They will know I'm a Christian by the fact that I know what it requires of me and the effort I need to put forth to protect the unity of the body of Christ. Bless the Lord. Christ did not come for his own benefit. He came for ours. Now here's where it gets interesting. Part of verse 27 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, now on 27. 
So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, listen, 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 listen. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. There's plenty of people, yea, verily behold, even in this room, plenty of people who quote this verse about people coming in who have sin in their life when they partake at the communion table. Now, done my homework here, done my research, there certainly is a measure of application in that regard. I will certainly acknowledge that. That is there. But that is not the context in which Paul is speaking. Listen to me, church. He is speaking of the context of being given to one another. The unworthiness, are you listening? The unworthiness he had in mind was participating in the Lord's Supper in a way that failed to exhibit the unity of the church in Jesus Christ. That's what he meant by by participating unworthily. That unworthiness he had in mind was participating in the Lord's Supper in a way that failed to exhibit the unity of the church. That's how serious this is. Verse 28, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself failing to understand what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, that's all it is. Here's my whole Christian, as long as this is good, man, I'm, I'm good. No, dear one, it is this and it's this. It goes both ways. Verse 30, that is why many of you are weak. That's why many of you are sick. And some have even died. It is serious. This is the seriousness of being committed to one another in the body of Christ. One church under God, indivisible. Some are spiritually weak. Some are spiritually sick. Some have spiritually died as a result of not discerning the body of Christ. That's why I say there is no such thing as just me and God, me and God. I know plenty of people, that's it. I, just, I don't need nobody else as long as I've got that. Some people think that. Some people want to think that. But I'm here to tell you, if that's what you're thinking, you're not embracing the whole of what the Scripture says for you. You need to be in the body of Christ as a believer. Hmm. I don't think you believe me this morning. Some people want that, just me and Jesus. But no, we are grafted into a body and there is a seriousness to what happens to my life when I interact with you. Let's let this sink really deep within us today. The casual interaction with the body of Christ is okay, but up to a point. But the call of the Lord, hear me today, Bethesda, the call of the Lord is to something deeper. 
and for the, that blessing of unity that is spoken of in Psalm 133, a depth of relationship is required for it to begin to command life forevermore. We are not in this alone. We are with brothers and sisters. And then when others begin to see it, when the world begins to see it, they begin to say, whoever is their God is God. If God could unite him and her, those two brothers, those two sisters, and they can unite and look at the, the joy of the relationship that they're, that they're in, and they are as different as chalk is to cheese, Des used to say. They are completely different, but look how they are united. And when people, when the world sees that, whoever is their God is God, and I want that kind of Jesus in my life. Moving quickly now to the 12th chapter of Corinthians. The unity which comes from esteeming one another. Church, we have to learn to not just tolerate each other, but to esteem one another. Some of us have been just satisfied just trying to tolerate one another. We're called to esteem one another and not just settle for tolerating. You know, have you ever wondered what it would be like if you came to church on Sunday morning and, and we were just totally honest with each other? Wouldn't that be a terrifying experience? Good morning. I tolerate you, my brother. I tolerate you, my sister. Good morning. I'm so glad to see you this morning, and I thank God you're not coming to my house this afternoon. Can you imagine what would happen to us if we spoke the absolute truth just for one day? But we are called to do more than tolerate one another. We're called to esteem one another. 1 Corinthians 12, verse tw uh, chapter 12, verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Paul says there is one church, and that church, and in that church are people from different cultures, from different ethnicities, from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic status, from different political positions, from different musical preferences, people who are known, people who are not known. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Verse 15 says, and if the foot says, uh, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. That does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. You are exactly where God wants you to be. God has placed you here. You are exactly where God wants you. He, he sets you where you are to be what you are, to do what you do, and to glorify Him in the unique way that only you can do it. You're not a happenstance. You are exactly where God wants you to be. Verse 19, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Oh, my goodness. Yes, there are many parts, 
but only one body. And then here's where it gets personal. Verse 21, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the, it is so nervous in this room right now. <laughs> I feel it all the way up here. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. Can I tell you what Paul's telling you? Everybody, 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 everybody is of value in the kingdom of God. There's no big people. There's no little people. There's no superstars in the body of Christ. Am I telling you the truth? Everybody has place in the body of Christ, and God, as God has seen fit, and everyone has value, everyone has incredible, inestimable worth in the sight of Almighty God. And you and I absolutely must get that mental perspective when we're greeting people. People walk in, and you're standing in the aisles or the set next to you, doesn't matter how they're clothed. It doesn't matter what's going on, you know, with them, whether it looks like somebody you like or don't like. No, they are valuable in the body of Christ. They are someone for whom Jesus left the splendor of heaven and died on a cross for. No big people, no little people. We should be stopping to talk to people not only based upon what we believe they have to offer us individually or the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't talk to them for that reason. They are not insignificant in the sight of God. And I tell you this, one of the prayers of the heart of this pastor is this. I pray that Bethesda will forever be, until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, a whosoever will church. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever will come and let him drink of the fountain of life freely, Revelation says. And I hope that Bethesda will remain that for the rest of its days for the glory of the name of Jesus. Is there an amen in the house today? Now, I've got to take this as far as the Scripture does, okay? If we're honest about it, we have to recognize that the Bible tells us to esteem every man or every woman greater than yourself. That's what it says. Verse 24, the last part of the 24th verse. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, the rest of us cry, ouch. Have you ever heard that before? All the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad, genuinely glad. You know what, church? It is a huge undertaking. It's something we probably have been far too casual about. 
But the, this blessing of unity is a huge undertaking. It takes more than just talking about it once or twice. It takes more than me talking about it, Dr. Marty talking about it. It takes us committed to it, being intentional about protecting the unity. There's the commitment of unity. There's the seriousness of unity, learning to esteem one another. And then we come to 1 Corinthians 13, and we learn about the glue that holds it all together. And I'm going to ask you, please, in your Bible reading, many of you I know have your favorite spots where you like to read, please don't isolate chapter 13 as just singled out and extracted because you know it as the love chapter. And yes, it's beautiful, and it's, it's poetic in the way it's put together. But when you isolate it, you are not getting the full value of what this chapter 13 is all about. You have to connect it to the theme of what Paul is saying in chapters 11 and 12. In all 11, 12, 13, it's all the same theme, and it's in light of everything else he has just said. I'm going to ask you to read it with me. I was going to have Mary read it, but I'm going to ask us to read it together. Everybody, now when you read, you've got to read it with gusto. You know how it goes here. Let's read it. Though I speak. Verse 2, and though, verse Let me stop you there. Love does not run around looking for the faults of other people and an opportunity to broadcast it everywhere you go. That's what that's saying. Start with verse 6 again. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Does not. And slow down. Love. Say it again. One more time. And those of you who believe that, put your hands together. Everything else will fail. Everything else will fail, but love never fails. One church under God, indivisible. As your pastor, I've made a determination that I'm going to heaven, but I'm not going to heaven without you. I'm part of the body of Christ that meets at Bethesda Church. I'm not going without you. I'm not going without the young. I'm not going without the old. I'm not going without the educated or the uneducated. I'm not without the rich, not without the poor. And this requires something of God in me that has to go beyond convenience. I don't want to make the journey to heaven without you, and that has to be the heart cry of this church. Am I the only one? If it is not the heart cry of this church, then we need to shut down every ministry and lock every door. I don't want to go without you. I'm in this church. I'm part of the body of Christ. 
But I choose to believe as your pastor that love is building this fellowship. I believe that with all my heart. And if you think differently, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you're wrong. And I say that upon the strength of how long I've been here and how well I know this fellowship. I know this church as well as anybody. Are we being stretched? Absolutely. But are we being led by the Spirit of God? You better believe we are. Is God asking for us to go deeper than we ever have before? The answer to that is yes. He is calling us from glory to glory and from grace to grace and from revelation to revelation. He's asking us to move together as a body of believers, to join together in vision and in mission to accomplish the task he has designed uniquely for us. And that mission is for the young, it's for the old, it's for the rich, it's for the poor, it's for every tribe, tongue, and nation, every ethnicity, every color. It is one church under God, indivisible. One body of Jesus Christ. One body walking together in unity. Others may decide they're going to be okay with division, but not here, not in this house, not under my watch, uh-uh, not here, not among this people. We are all in this together by the grace of God. I'm not going without you, and guess what, sweetie? You're not going without me. Together, we're going to advance the kingdom of God. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit will come upon us. By God's grace, people will walk through these doors and hear the gospel who've never heard it before because there's a unified body in this house. They will look at a body of believers gathered on this campus, speaking many different languages, all exalting the name of Jesus, coming from many different backgrounds, cultures, ethnicities, and they will find a people who truly love one another because Jesus has loved us. It's not fake. It's not a farce. It's not a program. But it's the truth that love reigns among us because love never fails, the Word tells us. And Paul says, this is the love I present to you. This is the Christ I present to you. This is how we must learn to interact with one another. And it can only happen by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit moving among us. Nobody said it's easy. Nobody said it's a small task. Trust me, I know to some measure what a big task it is. And you know what? The greatest miracle of all is that we love people. The greatest miracle of all is that we love people. Do we agree on all points? No, we don't. Of course not. I had somebody write me two weeks ago. Pastor Dan, I'm leaving Bethesda Church because I disagree with what you said about this and this and this and this. Okay? I said, I'm not sure I agree with me either, you know. There's all kinds of things that people have a, on the minor points that people want to, uh, want to, uh, want to divide over. I, I don't know about you. I just refuse to be divided with you over inconsequential doctrines. Not doing it. Not doing it. Things, things that are not really essential to the faith. So if you believe that as believers we're going to go through the tribulation and that we'll be carried through the tribulation and, and we'll have to suffer all the plagues and stuff that's mentioned in Scripture, I'm okay if you want to believe that. That's all right. I just have one thing to ask of you. Would you please feed my dog because I ain't going to be here for it. <laughs> Unity in the body of Christ is more important than being in agreement on every little single point of doctrine. 
It's more important. It ranks higher than agreeing on every little single point of doctrine. We have plenty of battles ahead of us, folks, and we know that. Battles for our country, battles for our future, battles for the church, battles for our children, for our grandchildren and their future. So for crying out loud, put the petty stuff behind you. Get your sword out and let's go for the glory of the name of Jesus. Everybody stand.